0: Welcome to you all, my name's Chris Oakley
1: And I'm Craig Charles, coming in from Gelsen <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's something that won't make sense unless
1: you've, uh, you know, you're have you a patron Unless you're a patron, support yes. Or a patron, whatever it yeah, whatever yeah. the nomenclature Correct, nomenclature oh, I yeah. well, I
0: mean, Long words at this stage, I'm now <laughs> well, in yeah.
1: trouble well, I got it really well though, I got it well Oh my god, I've lost the ability to speak I did, <laughs> Uh, but I, I am Craig
0: Charles, so it's fine. It's, uh... Good, excellent. Otherwise known as Rich Johnson. Yes, that's me. Excellent. And and this is episode six of the Football Attic Rewind, sponsored by Ciro Soterio. <laughs> uh, as, you, <coughs> as you'd expect by now, as another callback, you've got to listen to some of these old episodes. Otherwise, none of this is going to make any needs. sense.
1: <laughs> yes. Are you appearing in court? Do you need a suit quick? Then head down to Ciro Soterio
0: at your Citer- local <laughs> high street. <laughs> Um, as you'd expect by now, we're here to jump feet first into the warm and welcoming world of TV soccer, wrapping ourselves in nostalgia, both football-related and otherwise. Today's episode is a bit different, as for the first time, we venture out of London to watch some football from the Granada region. That what, was no Chelsea? <laughs> no Chelsea? I'm sorry, Chelsea listeners, but it had to happen eventually. Yes, 45 years ago, this episode was broadcast, and we'll be doing that uh, very shortly, but uh, let's start off, as we always do, by asking Rich Johnson, how have you been since we last spoke? Uh, well, I'm slowly
1: recovering from COVID. Um, <clears throat> still have the occasional coughing fit, um, and it appears to have affected my ability to put sentences together. So, <laughs> um, But
0: yes, other than that, I'm not too bad, thank you. And, and how are you, Chris? Good. I'm not too bad either. Thank you very much. Uh, nothing much to report, really. I've had my second COVID jab, finally, and so I'm, I'm there. But, you know, it's been a fairly quiet, settled, some may say boring uh, period since we last spoke, and, and maybe we should be grateful for that. But uh, <laughs> no, nope, I'm fine. Thank you very much. Hope you're all well too, listeners. Um, today's podcast sees us looking bat- back. I'll say that again, shall I? Looking bat. <laughs> well, <laughs> today's podcast sees us looking back at an episode of Granada TV's The Kickoff Match from the 15th of February, 1976. And, Rich, you'd have been very young then. Um, are there any vague and hazy memories lurking in the back of your mind from this time? I was one, so absolutely none, <coughs> <coughs>
1: <coughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> Bless. Not, nothing at all, I don't think. No, sorry.
0: Wow, yeah. I, I mean, I'd have been like four and a half, I think, at this point, point. Um, and... I can remember virtually nothing from my life at this point. I mean, like my earliest memories are from, I think, 77 when they had the Silver Jubilee, you know, street parties and things. I remember something like that. And then I was about six at that point. But this is a year before that. So, I mean, I, I re- recall virtually nothing. I think I've worked out I'd have been about six months into being at school. I was at Thamesview Infant School in Essex. And, uh, yeah, I can't remember much about that either. So um, that's we were both too young to know at this point it's all
1: your it's all your years of cocaine abuse isn't it chris that's wiped your memory. <laughs> yes.
0: i've told you not to bring that up my murky past <laughs> i don't like to talk about it okay everyone well i've got myself a computer from 1976 to help me provide you with facts and knowledge from the time and uh, today it's an apple one uh, it's got 4k of ram 456k of storage and i had to assemble it myself because it's a kit computer But, hey, no pain, no gain. What matters most is that we can now jump into the football attic time cupboard and discover what was going on in the UK, nay, the world, back in mid-February 1976. Well... The United Kingdom was currently enjoying its last couple of months with Harold Wilson as Prime Minister. He resigned one month after this episode and eventually made way for Jim Callaghan. On this very day, when this episode went out, the 12th Winter Olympic Games came to an end in Innsbruck, Austria. Great Britain ended up winning one medal, a gold, thanks to the figure skating prowess of John Curry. The IRA were threatening to plant bombs at train stations across the UK rather than targeting MPs after the death of hunger striker Frank Stagg. A £20 bomb had been defused at Oxford Circus Tube Station in London the previous day, and during the following month other bombs would explode at West Ham, Cannon Street and Wood Green Tube Stations. The Sunday Mirror were reporting on a new show that was soon to appear on British TV involving some, quote, super puppets called what would that be called rich
1: um i th- don't know <laughs> I the muppet say. show oh the muppet show yeah i was thinking of spit and image but that's mid-80s so no it wasn't there indeed, indeed. super puppets is that what they were super called? puppets well Spuppets. that's what they were yeah. <laughs>
0: um to quote uh, the sunday mirror the incredibly lifelike collection of over 300 puppets includes Carmit, a king-sized <laughs> frog and, and I'm mean, like, straight let's unpack that for a sec. So, three things I got wrong there. First of all, incredibly lifelike. I was going to say, what? Oh, yeah, Gonzo. What did he represent then? What was Gonzo anyway? <laughs> Gonzo, I think, was some kind of parrot, but like. Parrot? A purple parrot or something. Someone he had snapped beak. his beak Hook. up or something. Yeah, he, yeah. like, he didn't have a
1: beak, did he? He had a kind of weird, nah. sort of crazy nose. Hook. <laughs>
0: um, second point, calm it. I mean, hello. I like that. Calm it, the frog, <laughs> <laughs> and king size frog. Well, I suppose compared to a real frog, maybe. But oh god, come on, Sunday Mirror, sort well, it out.
1: The, the only sort of measurement uh, relativity we have is how big a king size cigarette was relative to a normal <laughs> cigarette, <laughs> yeah. especially well, in the seventies.
0: <laughs> Good point. Well made. <laughs> Um, We're also five days away from another TV show that was about to make its debut on our screens, Open All Hours, featuring Ronnie Barker as the stuttering shopkeeper Arkwright. Um, About a month before this episode, Concord took off for its first commercial flight, leaving Heathrow Airport for Bahrain. Eleven days before this episode, the Open University began early morning programming on BBC television. And in six weeks' time from this episode, filming would begin on a new movie... Called Star Wars. Hope is in sight, everyone. Hope is in sight. (laughs) So, what was on the box on this day? Well, on BBC One, you could have seen Camberwick Green, Crufts, Olympic Grandstand with coverage of the 90 metre ski jump and a review of the best bits of the Olympics from the last couple of weeks, Holiday 76 with Cliff Mitchelmore, and That's Life. On BBC Two, on this day, you could have seen The World About Us, the Natural History series, MASH, uh, was also there and on ITV on this day The World at War and Celebrity Square so a fairly eclectic mix there Rich any of that sort of taking your interest? Well I would have liked to have watched the uh, Winter Olympics
1: because uh, hmm. I'm a big fan of the Winter Olympics there's a question for you hmm. when did ski jumping when did they when did the ramp switch from just being like a ramp of random snow to like <laughs> two actual fixed tracks with like ceramic yeah. kind of coatings in it that's taken the they danger that? out of it, isn't Is right? it? Yeah, yeah. If you look at modern ski jumping, it's not just like a snowy ramp; it's two actual tracks that your skis fit
0: into. Well, I've seen that. I didn't know that it had sort of ceramic.
1: I think it does. Yeah, I think it's
0: like a sort of ceramic
1: coating on the top. I don't think it's ice. I think it's ceramic, or it might be wrong wow. about that. I'm sure some Good of them grief. do.
0: Oh, I mean, that's, so they that's, sort of like, I mean, sprayed
1: it with w d forty or something is it what it's exactly like, I mean what's all that about health and safety gone mad though it's what next well, I mean <laughs> sort of safety things in Formula one <laughs> you know
0: men with long hair yeah. <laughs> <coughs> oh dear. Oh dear.
1: yeah so um, and what else obviously a bit of celebrity squares you know with old mm-hmm. Lenny Bennett there the <laughs> Ever present Lenny Bennett, uh, and I, I used to like Open All Hours um, when yes. it was on. I'd never watched the remake they did, which was like with David Jason. taking Still it, Open uh, All Hours is that what yes. it's called? Yeah, there you go. That's the original title. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm surprised that shop still exists, though. I mean, you think about it with, yeah. with like local supermarkets taking over. I'm surprised it wasn't a Tesco Express or something. Although that was probably covered more in in a Tripper's Day. Or, um, oh god, dear yeah. Slinger's Day and uh, Slinger's Day, yeah, it's, it's Bruce, it's back to Bruce, isn't it?
0: Everybody <laughs> supermarket quite badly. <laughs> Do you know what? It's funny you should mention that because now is the time for our new feature. Everyone's talking about where's Brucey. <laughs> Woo-hoo. <laughs> the moment you've all been waiting for everyone the moment you've all been waiting for <laughs> no one cares about the football
1: it's all about the Bruce <laughs> <coughs> uh,
0: dear yes folks uh, it's time to find out what Brucey was up to uh, at the time of this episode uh, which is obviously February seventy-six. well Two days after this episode of the kickoff match, Bruce Forsyth was seen in yet another episode of BBC Two's International Pro Celebrity Golf. Where he parted- International <laughs> Pro Celebrity Golf. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just gonna do that after
1: everything. <laughs> Look at me playing with all my celebrity friends. I've got lots and you've got none.
0: <laughs> Look at my tartan trousers. <laughs> my
1: kipper tie.
0: <laughs> He was partnering uh, Peter Usterhaus in a game against Dick Martin and Tom Weiskopf. No, me neither. Um, one week before this episode, Brucey was at a London disco to celebrate the 36th birthday of his old showbiz chum, Jimmy Tarbuck. <laughs> Jimmy Tarbuck. 36, Jimmy Tarbuck. I thought he's always been about 60. I don't, think,
1: I don't think Jimmy Tarbuck was ever young. I think he was born as a 60-year-old man. And he continued okay. to be that up until later years. Well, that was only 36, you fool. <laughs> I was there in his disco and, uh, busting some moves. <laughs> Did you have
0: a tough paper round, my old friend? <laughs> oh dear me. So I've just worked out, so he must be 81 now, Tarby. Yeah. Anyway, Bruce and Tarby were joined by other Showbiz chums such as Silla Black, Bobby Moore, and Alan Ball at this disco. Uh, The occasion was fancy dress, and Brucey turned up wearing a teddy boy outfit. In the way that only Bruce Forsyth could have done, I suppose. It was supposed
1: Um, to be a teddy bear outfit. (laughs) They couldn't understand what I was saying.
0: (laughs) Um, During the previous month, Bruce Forsyth was named show business personality of 1975 by the Variety Club of Great Britain, and his latest series of Bruce Forsyth and the Generation Game ended its run during which time he was regularly pulling in more than 20 million viewers every week. Well done, Maya. Good game, good game.
1: Very well done to you, Cadley. <laughs> other things on the belt.
0: Ah <laughs> oh dear. So there we are. Uh, that's where Brucey was in early 1976. Join us again next time for another edition of Where's Brucey? I see you. See you, <laughs> nice. I don't know. I think he was dying at that point. Goblin tease made. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, now dear. we must move on. Um, what was at the movies at this point? You could have still seen Jaws at the movie at this point. Uh, it was came You're out. And... Going to
1: need a bigger boat. <laughs>
0: Um, That came out in um, Christmas 75. It was still at the cinema, uh, still the movies at this point. And you could have also seen another film called The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother, which was a Gene Wilder film. had uh, Marty Feldman and various other people in it. Not one I remember, but that was around at the time. Um, In the charts, uh, the UK number one single was Forever and Ever by Slick. Do you remember Slick? I didn't know about Slick until fairly recently. Basically, they were a sort of... Um, Bay City Rollers wannabes, uh, but fronted by one midure Believe it oh, or not, no, never yes.
1: them.
0: They their their lights shone brightly but briefly. I think, and and here we go again. The UK number one album was the very best of Slim <laughs> Whitman. This is the UK pop charts. The very best of Slim Whitman. Slim Whitman was a a country and western sort of singer, and um, Slim Whitman's 1955 hit Rosemary spent 11 weeks at number one on the UK singles chart and held the Guinness World Record for the longest consecutive number of weeks at number one on the UK singles chart for 36 years until Brian Adams broke it in uh, 1991. So... But, I mean, why is it whenever we do these things and, like, you get look in the album chart, it's always like Perry Como at number one. It's like, where are all the bloody uh, tears for fears and all that <laughs> of it? But know. it's because we always
1: look around sort of Christmas time, so they're always great as oh, hits albums, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I suppose um, they're buying, people buying records for their grannies and grandmas. I suppose. Exactly. Uh,
1: the old yes. k classics. classics. Um, I was uh, watching Top of the Pops 1991 the other day, Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they're up to the point in over the summer of '91, which was literally when Brian Adams was dominating the bloody oh, charts. And um, I remember it well. I sort of uh, my wife walked in, she went, "Oh, I like this song," and I went, "I hate this song." <laughs> she went, Why? And I went because it wouldn't shut up for like 16 weeks over the summer.
0: <laughs> so God, yes, just like everywhere you went, it was on a radio somewhere or in a shop on the you know, on the ten or anything. Yeah. Mind,
1: it's such a bland song as well. Yeah. Cry now, and then it was called to slit your wrist. By it was it, um, was it Whitney Houston from The Bodyguard oh, as well? God, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ, even worse! I hate that song. These pining,
0: though. wailing songs, yes,
1: yeah, wailing songs. Is that like getting a harpoon <laughs> or
0: something? Harpoons, yeah, <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry. Um, on the front cover of your favorite footy magazines at this point, uh, Shoot Magazine had Willie Carr of Wolves and Mick Lyons of Everton. The big double-page team picture inside featured Celtic. Uh, World Soccer magazine February 76 featured a snapshot from the Switzerland versus Soviet Union game, which was a Euro 76 qualifier. Now, what was going on in football news around this time? Well, one national newspaper was predicting a mass exodus of Britain's top players to Europe in the next couple of years. Former Belgian international player Jean-Paul Colonval was one of the middlemen who were scouting for talent on behalf of clubs like Anderlecht, Bayern Munich and Ajax, and he'd drawn up a list of 25 top English players who would be targeted. Uh, The list includes names like Kevin Keegan, Malcolm MacDonald, Frank Worthington and Trevor Francis. The lure of earning higher wages while playing fewer games in a season for a top European club and paying far less tax was seen as an inevitable temptation for the best British talent. Though some administrators in the English game were a little concerned by continental teams waving their checkbooks and robbing us of our best players, the reality was that very few of the players on that list of 25 actually ended up playing in Europe. Kevin Keegan famously went to Hamburg and Trevor Francis played in Italy during the 80s. But if anything, British players were much more tempted by the prospect of playing in the NASL in America rather than playing in the Belgian First Division. Perhaps the language barrier was a deciding factor in that.
1: I'm surprised I can Uh, manage American. Hey!
0: (laughs) Oh, dear. Apart from that, though, in England, the FA Cup had reached the fifth round, which we'll be seeing more of shortly. And in the first division, five games were played on this weekend, one of which, it pains me to say, uh, resulted in Coventry beating West Ham 2-0. We...
1: Way and, that, indeed. and that pretty much continued the fortunes of those two teams in exactly the same <laughs> vein very
0: <therein. laughs> yeah. Already out of the FA Cup by February. <laughs> yeah. um, West Ham remained sixth after that result, while Coventry climbed to 14th. Sheffield United were already looking odds-on for relegation, and Wolves and Burnley were also in the bottom three at this time. So there you go. That sets the scene nicely for the middle of February 1976. I think it's time now to settle down and watch the kickoff match. As ever, you'll find a link to the programme we're watching wherever you downloaded this podcast, so make sure you check it out to add to your listening pleasure. Oh, and when you do, please note, the video on YouTube says that this match is from April the 24th, 1976, but that's the date of a league match between Man United and Leicester. The correct date is the 15th of February, 1976, and I suggest we head there right now. And, Rich, we start off by hearing the theme tune to The Kickoff Match, which was a weekly football highlights programme shown in the northwest of England, the Grenada region, between 1975 and 1983. It was the successor to a show called Football. <laughs> That's all you <we laughs> needed to call it back then. Um, that was introduced in 1968, and it was originally presented by uh, Barry Davis. Uh, Gerald Sinstat took over the presenting duties in 1969 when Davis joined the BBC's Match of the Day programme, and the kick-off match became part of a trilogy of weekly football programmes on Granada. On Friday nights, there was a preview programme called Kick-Off, and there was also a football game show called the Kick-Off Quiz, but the kick-off match was the Sunday afternoon staple that showed a selection of football highlights involving teams in the north of England every week. Um, So, the theme tune, Rich, and also the name—the I mean, kickoff match Does that that sounds really clunky to me. I don't know about how you feeling, how you feel about that.
1: It sounds very clunky. <coughs>
0: <And it> is, <laughs> oh, good, not it just is me. Very
1: clunky. Um, well, I mean, the, I'm, I'll be honest, Chris. I'm scared. I'm really scared <laughs> uh, because these opening titles are terrifying. Um, it's kind of some weird 70s mid 70s synth proper weird 70s synth everything's in slow motion there's like it's not just like some of it all of it's in slow motion and then the logo just sort of keeps fading in and out in the corner like really slowly and ominously it feels like some kind of like 1970s sort of soviet era sort of transmission from the state police or something and I'm, I'm half ruined. expecting some female voice to start reading out numbers. Um, <laughs> it's just so weird. I'm just like it, it is it's creepy as hell, and I'm 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 not happy.
0: <laughs> it's like a public information film it shot is. through the prism of matter. of the it's day. It's like
1: one of those Czech cartoons you got in the in the mid '80s when <laughs> when the normal programming had been interrupted or something, and they just put some random black and white sort of um, sort of communist propaganda sort of cartoon on you like i'm scared mummy what's happened to rainbow why is zippy talking in a strange voice
0: it it's it is very much like that listen if you oh, haven't Jeffrey, seen the- remember that to seize the means of production i think that's one episode <laughs> oh, Zippy we're going to talk about the communist manifesto <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, red, Red's under that oh, let's go to Bruce Forsyth <laughs> yeah. he made a guest appearance that was on Rainbow <laughs> Talk about Red's under the bed <laughs> oh dear oh, that was Zippy that was Zippy Forsyth <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I think we just sort of discovered a few things there we didn't realise <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. think
1: we've. Got, I think that that um, sort of sequence of the title sequence has actually recovered some repressed memories. I think due <laughs> <to> <laughs> some therapy, therapy. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like reverse therapy though. So, yes, um, yeah. End, end, end result: I am scared, and I don't like the title. Bring <laughs> on Gerald Sinstat. Although, when Gerald Sinstat appears, he appears to be holding a phallus for a microphone, which is just <laughs> I, making it worse. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And there is no studio; he's just standing in what appears to be the boiler room under Filbert <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've got here, first of all the titles, uh, a simple affair that basically consists of Liverpool's Steve Highway jinking his way past a number of hapless Derby County players in slow motion, on top of which is overlaid the programme's logo, a football with the kickoff match displayed in the middle of it. For no apparent reason, the logo keeps appearing and disappearing as if someone's mucking about with some vertical Venetian blinds. Um, accompanying the titles is the show's theme tune, an instrumental version of Looking High by the York based pop group The Smoke. No, they never had any major hits, I have checked. I think someone um, was high. So, yes, smoking something when they performed that. <laughs> Um, and we were then greeted by the sight of a man with greying combed over hair, wearing thick-rimmed glasses, a navy blue roll-neck sweater, and a jacket whose bold grey check pattern could have distracted the pilots of any passing 747s flying over Manchester that day, <laughs> Gerald Sinstat.
1: Every time you moved, the Formula One race ended. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, I'm, but, the thing that most surprised me with this is why hasn't Gerald Sinstat got a beard? Because I always imagined he had. Well, um, he used
0: I, to have a moustache, uh, but oh, not right. at this point. But he yes. I don't know
1: why, but in my head, I think he looks more like Richard Stilgo. <laughs> that's a yeah. reference, kids.
0: Um, <laughs> ask your parents. And that's
1: kind of what, like an older version of Richard Stilgo is how I kind of thought he looked. So I'm very disappointed to find he looks more like a top-of-the-pop presenter. <laughs> not <laughs> not no, half.
0: No, you always... <laughs> not half, all right. Um, yeah, he used to have a moustache, but clearly not at this point in time. So, uh, yes. Um born in Folkestone, Kent, since that was conscripted in the Army Intelligence Corps as part of his national service when he left school. But as a 19-year-old, he was transcripted into the forces radio network, where he was asked to commentate on a match between an English and Scottish regiment. Further opportunities to provide radio commentary came along, and after ending his national service, he eventually got a job working for BBC Radio in Birmingham, where he replaced David Coleman, who went off to work for the Beeb in London. In the mid-sixties. Since that got his first TV job working for Anglia in the east of England and from there his prominence as one of the most familiar commentary voices in Britain soon grew. A couple of years later he replaced Barry Davis as Granada's main football commentator and he was on, on hand to continue his run of describing the action from every World Cup between 1958 and 1982 except for the 1962 tournament. In the early 80s, he went freelance and became more of a reporter, lending his services to BBC programmes such as Football Focus and Match of the Day. During his long career, he, he also has commentated on events at the 1972 Olympics. He was the voice that was heard during the classic Liverpool v Saint-Étienne European Cup quarter final in 1977. And it's said... He was the man who suggested to the BBC that Luciano Pavarotti's rendition of Nessun Dorma should be used as the theme to the station's coverage of the 1990 World Cup. Fact. Pat on the back for me for unearthing that little gem in my research. (laughs) I mean, sorry, looking up on the Apple One computer. Here we find him on screen, speaking into a mic at what we presume is a football stadium of some description, although it could just as easily be the inside of a well-lit shipping container. (laughs) Since that introduces the uh, the programme by telling us that we can look forward to the highlights from two matches, the first from Filbert Street, where Leicester City were playing Manchester United, since that tells us that it's such a good cup tie that many people have rated it as just about the best they've ever seen. Time will tell. As well as that, there's a few highlights from another fifth-round FA Cup tie, Stoke City versus Sunderland, which apparently is being shown to appease viewers from the Tyne Tees region. Quite why they weren't watching the six-goal thriller between Bolton and Newcastle, we don't know. So they're getting Granada's football programme, which confusingly starts with pictures from the ATV region, where Leicester were playing Man United. <coughs> and off we go, Rich, with the first game, Leicester the Man United. Um, let's begin by discussing what caught your eye.
1: Well, initially, um I noticed that they were using the classic thirty two panel black and white bucky ball um for for the <laughs> match, but then they weren 't that was only for the warm up I noticed I think they were using a miter um yes. for the actual main match, which is a bit disappointing um, yeah. yeah, so that was a bit disappointing yeah, the team lineup normally i don 't pay any attention to this, but I tried to I made an effort. <laughs> Um, and I think I recognised one Leicester player, which was Worthington. Which was, was that Frank Worthington? Frank Worthington. Yes, Not it was. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then several from Man U, including Alex Stepney, Steve Coppel, Lou Macari, and Jimmy Hill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that was Gordon Hill, but no, it was definitely Jimmy. He <laughs> <laughs> was still playing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Bruce. That's Jimmy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is my mate Jimmy Hill still playing <laughs> Man United. <laughs> There is. Have you ever seen that pr- uh, publicity photo of them? Um, basically, they're facing each other. Bruce Forsyth and Jimmy Hill, and because they've both got big chins, they're sort of basically their chins are touching. They're sort of making a point of the fact they've both got big chins. I have to find that somewhere. Um, a, that was one of those kind of publicity things that got I ended up in the newspaper.
1: Did they have their fists together like two boxes or something? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. But they didn't need it. They just had a chin. It was a chin-off.
0: chin off. Chin <laughs> off. Yes. Uh, yes. The the. the uh, Lineups were shown in some very pleasing BBC-esque captions showing the team lineups uh, vertically with the badge on the right, although the names of the players aren't properly aligned to the left very well. Sorry, my OCD there, but it's it's true. That's the way things were done back then. Just slap the names on, on a caption and have done with it. Um, yeah, various names there, that are, some of which I uh, had written down the same as yours. Um, Rich, uh, for Leicester, yes. Frank Worthington, journeyman striker capped eight times for England, uh, sadly died early this year, March 2021. Um, various other names, Steve Whitworth, played a few times for England. Steve Kemba, who played twice for Chelsea, two spells for Chelsea and two spells for Leicester as well. Um, Keith Weller, considered to be one of Leicester's greatest players, it says here. And for Man United, yeah, uh, Steve Coppel, sorry, Koppel, um, yes. <laughs> as as we know. Um, the mercurial winger for United and, uh, and England. Lou Macari, Scottish international midfielder who managed Swindon, West Ham, Stoke twice and Celtic amongst others. Stuart Houston, Man United defender. He went on to be assistant manager at Arsenal under George Graham and actually was uh, the, the actual manager of QPR in 1996-97.
1: Was it Stuart and
0: Houston that actually signed Bergkamp? I think it might have been actually. Oh, no, was, he that was Bruce Rioch. Well, he was the sort of under manager with him as well as um, as uh, George Graham as well. So it may he. I'm, it's just I, one of those saying, things
1: where everyone thinks it was Wenger because Wenger came in sort of round about yeah. the same time, but it wasn't. It was it was the previous guy. Anyway, sorry, carry on.
0: Well, when Bruce Rioch took over from George Graham, I think he kept on Stuart Houston in ah, the uh, okay. yeah. So he may well have been involved in that. Yes, um, and Alex Stepney, Man United goalkeeper. One cap for England in 1968. He's got quite. I've got to give you a bit of a summary here of his of his um, sort of bio because it's 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 quite incredible. Um, So he won the league with Man United in 67. He won the European Cup in 1968. Um, He conceded a goal to Pat Jennings in the 67 Charity Shield match against Tottenham. Um, He was England's third choice keeper at the 1970 (laughs) World Cup behind Gordon Banks and Peter Bonetti. He was relegated to Division 2 with Man United in 1974. During that 1973-74 season, he scored two goals from penalties. And at Christmas 1973, he was United's joint leading scorer, <laughs> which I just think is hilarious. Um, in 74-75, he dislocated his jaw while shouting orders out to his teammates and um, he played in the 1976 FA Cup final, which United lost to Southampton. And the following year, he played in the final again, which Man United won 2-1 over Liverpool. He played the last of his 546 games for United in April 78, after which time he went to the States to play in the NASL. And he retired from football in 1980. That's quite a, a biography there. Um, the referee, did you spot the referee? I did. It was Elvis. Um, <laughs> it it was, looked a bit like Elvis it was The old
1: classic Jack Taylor But yeah looking like a Northern Club Elvis impersonator <laughs> Is the note that I
0: made Because he definitely did oh. <laughs> oh yes He really did He had uh, yeah, his hair sort of slicked back with brawl cream And um, yeah, you can imagine him in like a, a flared jumpsuit really um, Jack Taylor OBE from Wolverhampton uh, Famously the referee for the 74 World Cup final Where he awarded a penalty to the Netherlands After just 53 seconds against West Germany The first penalty ever awarded in a World Cup final uh, He also efficiently spotted that the corner flags Hadn't been put in place prior to kick off And he refused to start the match Until the matter was rectified Good good for you Jack You need standards in these things um, Was it Jack Taylor? Was it, I'm trying to think was it
1: Jack Taylor No it was a Welsh guy who was the oh. Welsh guy that um, oh. didn't allow Brazil's goal from the court, from the corner? Oh,
0: my God. Oh, that's going to come... I, I cannot remember his name. I always I I get those two
1: confused because they were on fantasy football together. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, kind of like the same sort
0: of, sort of Phoenix and the Flames <sighs> thing. Name a Welsh um, surname. It's It'll come back to me like... Jones. Jones. It wasn't Jones. Engine, it was Davis. As in Ivor the
1: engine. <laughs> engine. Um, Sam, as in Fireman Sam. <laughs> Oh, I can picture Clive him Thomas. as well. That's him, Clive Thomas. There you go. Clive Thomas. There we go, Clive Thomas. I, uh, Clive <laughs> Thomas. Lovely. Yes. No, no, you can't have that goal. You took too long.
0: <laughs> You've blown my whistle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, great referees of our time. Yes, um, Jack Taylor, referee's first match, age 17, in 1947. And in 1955, he got onto the Football League list. Shortly after that, he began refereeing matches in the Football League. In 1964, he took charge of the match between Brazil and Argentina in Rio de Janeiro. And in 1970, he refereed the 1970 World Cup group game between Italy and Sweden. But uh, despite being a familiar figure in Football League matches right up to 1977, it was the 1974 World Cup final that really saw him reaching the very peak of refereeing. Uh, One other quick story, which some some listeners may have heard of before, but I've got to say because I was... Found it rather amusing. Um, on one occasion, when Jack Taylor was in charge of a match at Luton Town, one of the fans threw a 1P coin which hit him in the face and cut him. Eric Morgan, who was one of the directors at Luton Town, saw Jack Taylor after the match and asked him if he was going to report the incident. When Taylor said no, Morgan replied, Good, now can I have my penny back? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Taylor found the whole thing rather amusing and often recounted the story in later years. Marvellous. Sadly, Jack Taylor died in 2012, aged 82, but he was undoubtedly one of the most respected referees in British, if not world, football. Um, the kits, Rich, in this match, what did you make of the kits being worn?
1: Well, my first impression of Leicester's was it looked a bit like a rugby shirt. Um, but Very then on closer so, yes. inspection, it's actually really nice. It's a nice shirt. There's no mm. manufacturer's logo on it, but there's a really nice sort of... I like the the, the, the neck and the collar arrangement. That looked quite nice. Mm. Man, news. Yeah, typical mid-70s. Was it Admiral at this point?
0: Um, It was Admiral. This was the first year of that Admiral kit that they wore. So this was the very moment when we were starting to see fancy Admiral kits coming in. Um, Yeah, Yeah,
1: and it was okay. You know, There was nothing amazing about it. It was weird seeing the logos in in yellow, though. Mm. So the badge and the Admiral logo in yellow on the red shirt looked a bit strange.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I noticed that being (coughs) quite right,
1: yes. And um, nothing to write home about, really. And then I think Manny were wearing black socks, weren't they? As well as black they
0: were wearing shorts. black black socks from the away kit, and um, yeah, black socks as well. So a bit of an odd red, black, black combo that they were wearing there. And they'd wear that kit in red, white, black format until 1980. So yeah, yikes. Uh, uh, Leicester were in the last season of wearing a fairly perfunctory kit, but quite nice with it, uh, consisting of blue shirt with white winged collar, white shorts and socks um uh the following season like man united they switched to admiral and that was the one with the white logo taping sort of in a ring running down from the shoulders under the arms and stuff which people may remember um and did you see leicester's shirt numbers on the back they were quite sort of blocky in a gridiron style
1: uh, quite modern really i did that to be honest
0: yeah because we have talked about the the sort of what you might call the football league font, which seemed to be all around for years and years, but yeah, Leicester had a big sort of like a yeah like a gridiron style number on the back, um, quite go ahead for 1976, really. <clears throat> um, now then, uh, the the stadium we'll go on to next, uh, Filbert Street. What did you make as a, as more of a stadium expert than me, Rich? Did you make any observations on the on the stadium?
1: Um, not really. I mean, it's. Filbert Street <clears throat> obviously got replaced by the Walker Stadium, or which mm-hmm. is now the King Power Stadium um, eventually, I think early 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it, to be honest, it hadn't really changed that much from the 70s to the point it was demolished, other than the main stand was replaced. But that's the stand they're filming from, so you wouldn't be able to see mm-hmm. that anyway. Um, it still had these sort of weird like boxes on stilts at one end um, mm-hmm. behind the goal. I think, uh, which was a bit strange, but quite unique as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was
0: I, it was a sort of typical sort of English ground, really, in the 70s. I thought when you said boxes, I thought you were going to mention the stand opposite where the camera's situated. There were these little enclosures where there were sort of either two or four people sitting. And it looked like people who were, to put it sort of politely, like... Slightly wealthier types. There were sort of men in smart coats and women with their kind of you know fancy hats on and stuff. And and yeah, some of them were like little little private, almost like booths, really, where they were sort of sitting on their own. And and all of the sort of columns of seating had lots of sort of steps sort of a regular intervals
1: it was kind of quite a distinct look yeah I did notice that I wonder what mm-hmm. the hell that was because it literally looked like there were sort of two or four people per row and then there was yeah. like you say then there was a row of steps
0: Isn't it was strange yeah I don't know if it was the wealthy types were given their own little the sort of private types. seating area yes <laughs> any Leicester fans that used to go to <coughs> Filbert Street let us know what, what, that, was
1: like, or what that was like were there wealthy types in Leicester like oh, Mr., 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 Mr and Mrs Gary Chrisps, Lineker I guess <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right Walker yeah, Willie Thorne um, and Gary Lineker. <laughs> they're the only two in Leicester. <laughs> and King Richard, who was still under the car park <laughs> at this point.
0: Uh, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Not being it was disturbed. Leicester, wasn't it? I think it was, wasn't it? It wasn't Coventry, sure obviously. Was. You'd have known about no, that. It wasn't
1: Coventry, no. Yeah. We, don't, okay. we don't bury our kings under car parks in Coventry. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> just just our pre-war
0: architecture. Well, hey! <laughs> hey! Bit of satire for you there. <laughs> Um, the ball well, was a miter something max I couldn't quite see the footage is a little bit blurry, but um it was a miter ball uh, of what it's worth a fairly standard type of the time um and well inevitably inevitably we come onto the bit where we're talking about pitch side advertising boards and quite a few to choose from on this one. What were the names that stood out for you rich?
1: there's a lot I tried to make note of every single one I could see. <laughs> Uh, the, my favourite, though, is, I mean, the biggest one's obviously Walker's Crisps, because obviously that's you know where the factory was in Leicester, still is, I think. Uh, but it, it didn't just say Walker's Crisps, it said, eat Walker's Crisps. <laughs> so it was an instruction. Yeah. It wasn't just, <laughs> look, be aware that these exist. It was, eat them, all right? Yeah. Not none of your Smith's Crisps around here, you splitter. Not,
0: not make scale models of Big Ben with Walker's Crisps. You know, like <laughs> exactly, action. yeah. Eat, eat them. them, you've got to eat them.
1: Yeah, don't play around with them, just... Stuff them in your gob and chew it. <laughs> uh, we had uh, Alpen, um, the Alpen breakfast is. cereal for hippies. Um, Enkelon, I don't know what that was.
0: Uh, I know what that is. is.
1: What is it? Go on. Is it another foreign I had to do some
0: one? research. Well, I didn't have to, but I've got nothing else going yeah, on did. in my life, so I, you know. <laughs> um, Enkelon apparently is a uh, company it's a that Transformer, was based- I think. It was an <laughs> <laughs> It does sound very much like that, yes. Based in Leicester, they basically (laughs) made tights and stockings. I think they worked with sort of nylon and artificial, um, you know, fabrics and things. So uh, yeah, they 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 made that kind of stuff. Hosiery, I think is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Hosiery, hosiery, yes. Do carry on. Hosiery, yes. Vision
1: Hire is an old classic. Uh, Harcock Simpson, um, (laughs) multi broadcast. I don't know what it was. Just It just said multi-broadcast.
0: Um, oh, that's um, one of these um, TV hire shops like... Um, oh, okay. Okay, there you uh, go. What's the one I'm trying to think of? Rumbelows and all that kind yes, of stuff. Um, yes, yeah. and
1: Radio Rentals. Radio uh, Rentals, yes. Weetabix, um, World <laughs> Sports Sites, which I think we've had before. Uh, we had a Moco, or Amoco, whatever, how you <laughs> pronounce it. Petrol. But you please. couldn't see that to start with, because someone draped a coat all over it. Um, <laughs> I love this one, In Victor's Mastermind.
0: Yes. What
1: do you know what that? that is?
0: No, I don't. Right. You must know surely the the classic it's not a board game exactly but it's a toy where you've basically got how do I describe this? So you have two people sitting at the end of this long uh, of this piece of plastic. It's like an oblong shaped piece of plastic. And you had a, like a series of four holes and you had to oh, put yeah, pegs in them. Oh yeah, Mastermind. Yeah. Mastermind game is Mastermind, yeah. There you go. And you have to predict where the pegs are in oh, your Oh, is opponent's that all it was? Yeah. And, oh. But the thing is um, Invicta were based in Manchester and Mastermind was the 1973 Game of the Year apparently. So this was three oh. years on. So it's still fresh in everyone's memory. That's what it was. And it was made sort of not far away essentially. Oh. there you go. <clears throat> Another of my
1: favourites. Uh, we always find these ones. These are really obscure ones. The Solid Fuel Advisory
0: Service. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Um,
1: and then we had, but- uh,
0: go on. Right. Oh, no, I was just going to say. I think they were the people that if you didn't know where to get your coal for your fire, then they would tell you. You know, they would advise you accordingly. They'd go, oh, there's a shop. The coal yard. Your... <laughs> yeah. Next call. Yeah. Put it through. Yeah.
1: Uh, we also have the usual classics of Ferguson and Esso, uh, Leicester Building Society, obviously, and another great local one, Frank Bailey Metal Merchants, <laughs> um, Rostov Vodka. Um, yes. Which Martin Hall getting, Steel Tube Oh, are they? Right, okay. Martin yeah. Hall Steel Tubes Limited. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then quite a lot of... So Clarks, Renault, AA, BSS, Fiat, Ansells, Thistle Hotels, Bostick, Rumblows, Coral, uh, BMW, and then a couple of other ones. There was one that said Alpine something, and I couldn't see what the middle bit was. It said Alpine, and then some words in the middle, then Alpine again. Couldn't see what it was, though. Um,
0: I don't know if you caught that one. Not um, as opposed to Alpen, but... Uh, yeah, no, I think- this... yeah. And yeah, then, I didn't and th- write that down because, I, for the same reason, I couldn't tell what all of the name was. But it was Alpine something.
1: Yeah, and then the other one uh, before we head to the roof, the last one uh, in one of the corners was play striker. <laughs> yes, which I'm very, very pleased was a to see that football game.
0: Yeah, the one where you push the heads down and it makes the leg kick. Oh, the ball that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes, and then uh, onto Strider. the roof because, um, yeah. of course, you know, sell as much space as possible. Uh, Co-op Superstore, <clears throat> British yeah. Relay. Um, Mazda oh, Cars. Yeah, cable TV. Oh, is that what that was? Primitive oh, cable TV, yes. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mazda Cars, Wilson, which I just imagine is Tom Hanks in a football. Um, <laughs> uh, well, a sign that just said, build a good deal. <laughs> okay.
0: And, and you've got a problem with that, have you? I mean,
1: well, not, not really, t- other than as advertising goes, it doesn't work very well because it doesn't tell you no. who it is, what it is, or, you know, just telling me to build a good deal. Uh, okay. <laughs> And it wasn't like, the the one next to it was nothing to do with it. So it's like, I just, I didn't, and then Signs by Etchells, which I like. Unless, you know, you had to build a good deal with Signs by Etchells. I don't know. Uh, Go Pontins, (laughs) which I like is it's kind of like a a bad bad English sort of, you know, phrase. It's not go to Pontins, it's go Pontins. Go Pontins. Go Pontins. Uh, Enemix. For quality concrete. Exactly. And the last one that I got, uh, Case Pack Midlands
0: Limited. Um, there you go. Some random local companies and things, yes. Yes. Um, that's pretty much taken care of most of my list, really. Uh, yeah, Thistle Hotels, who, of course, were the shirt sponsor of Leeds United from 1993 yep. to 96 for Fact Fans. Um, yeah, Golden Wonder Crisp, which must have irked the local people from Walgers, but uh, oh, I did not see that. Yes, that was a little one on the upper tier, I think um yeah crown heating blah 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 all the others um good year yes everard's fine burton beers as well <clears throat> there's another one for uh local people i'm sure um now generally speaking the other sort of peripheral stuff that you saw going on during the game before the game after the game what else did you uh did you pick up on
1: not much um Roth took us or took one in the nuts, I guess. <laughs> right in the nuts. Um, I didn't even know who Roth was. I just remember them saying, Roth <laughs> and then watching this bloke collapse on the floor in pain. <laughs> Leicester City player. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, um, the only other thing I noticed was at the half time, the 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 sort of obviously had the weird um, piano and guitar outro. Yes, and then. I don't know if this was originally broadcast, but I, I'm assuming not, although it might no. have done. <laughs> it can't, but it was a, it's like a chalkboard. It's just a picture of a chalkboard uh, with a countdown clock on it. I don't mean like, you know, from the TV <laughs> the countdown, but like a sort of green metal arrow um, re- sort of counting down tr- to transmission time. And yeah. then a Granada logo that appears to have been wallpaper pasted onto the board <laughs> very badly, yeah,
0: um, some and old scrap can, of paper. Yeah,
1: and then you can hear like the the sort of production team's voices very faintly in the background, and yeah. it just counts down to zero, and then it carries on with part two.
0: Yeah, this was the occasionally these things crop up on videos on YouTube if you're looking for old sort of big matches and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's the sort of, I think it's the vision mixers um, sort of clock that counts them in so that they can fade in the the second half of the program, basically. And um, yeah, uh, sort of like a, a chalked, um, thing on there sort of saying kick off p738 slash 158 whatever that means and then it said take one written on it below it but yeah the tatty old bit of paper with the granada logo that was like quality um and yeah no it wouldn't have been broadcast but it would have been used by the production team to know like when the commercials were over and queuing in the second half so that was a lovely thing actually i wasn't expecting that but as i've said before i never watched these programs all the way through in advance i just think yeah, it looks like a complete episode that's one of the ones that our Patreon people can sort of vote for or whatever so that was a nice little surprise Um, before the game started uh, you see Leicester players in their blue tracksuit tops with the lettering of Leicester City FC on the back which is nice because that was becoming very much a fashionable thing back then Um, before the match started we see a section of the crowd where Leicester fans are holding aloft what looks like the longest scarf ever seen at an English football match did you see that? Uh, yes I did yeah. it was just like a kind of very thin ribbon
1: though it was just like yeah. it seemed to be pointless was, somebody was, sort uh,
0: of knitted it I guess and I was expecting to see Norris McWurter at the end of it after all that just... doing a Nazi salute <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Alex Stepney the Man United goalkeeper seemed to be wearing what looked like an international cap it was looked like it was red velvet I don't think it was one but it looked like he'd brought it in from home and like just to wind up the rest of the players I said, look at me like, I've got an England cap it was a really bizarre, it wasn't like a sporty kind of cap like you used to sort of that you see sometimes now. But anyway, I digress. Um nice captions appearing when the goals were scored. It would sort of put up the names of the teams obviously inside of like a rectangular box and you had the ITV sport logo above it, which was good. Um no clock though. Like the big match in London would have a like a clock saying that the goal had been scored after you know 42 minutes or something like that. But they, clearly they couldn't afford a clock apart from that one that we saw at halftime there. Um, uh, what else? Do, oh, yeah. We see the, the referee Jack Taylor hooking off a Man United fan off of the field <laughs> who had run on. And um, Gerald Sinstat says, well done, Jack Taylor. <laughs> Not being impartial in any way. Um, there were some fellas walking around the outside of the pitch, like the perimeter of the pitch, with... Sort of trays hanging around their necks, like you used to get the usherettes in the cinema back in the old days. And one of them ends up walking through shot later on. And you see, it says fresh donuts on the front. You're going around selling donuts to people in the crowd, which have you ever been to a match where there was sort of donuts were a thing? Because I always thought it was pies no. and sausage rolls and N- hot never. dogs and things. <laughs> oh, Leicester were pushing the boat out there, flogging donuts to the fans. Um, Also, you see some orderlies carrying a stretcher with a fan on it walking through shot when there was a Man United throw-on, just quite casually, like, this guy's half dead, but don't mind us, we're just (laughs) walking past with this guy, like as if it was a perfectly normal thing. In the second half, um, we saw um, Bob Lee of Leicester heading in from close range after Frank Worthington hooked the ball into the area, but the goal was disallowed for supposedly being, quotes, a punch, not a header and they show a replay and it still doesn't prove it either way but we'll come back to that a bit later on um i noticed again going back to alex stepney he was wearing goalkeeper club goalkeeper gloves but they were in a kind of color shade that can be best described as light caucasian because at first i thought he was just wasn't wearing gloves and then when you see he's actually wearing them but they're like in a sort of white skin tone but slightly lighter as if he's anemic or something I thought what an odd color for goalkeeper gloves I was expecting green or something like that. Um, Yeah, Keith Weller of Leicester at one point launched a long ball upfield that found no one except the back of the legs of a local constable standing watch at the side of the pitch, which got a big cheer from the fans. Um, You see in the old-fashioned style some photographers sitting at both ends of the ground behind the goals, complete, they all had like hard plastic red holdalls Like I don't know if they were Adidas or not, I couldn't tell, but they they were quite fashionable at the time. I think I had one like that when I first started going to school, like a really hard leather or hard plastic sort of holdall that weren't very good at stretching, such was the the type at the time. Um, And at the end of the game, David McCreary had a shot that was so high that it went out of the ground someone on the touchline threw on another ball and it bounced into the empty Leicester net, which got a big cheer from the Man United fans. So that was quite a nice thing as well. And and just generally, and at the end of the game, lots of young fans running onto the pitch, all of them with voluminous flares on.
1: Yeah, Um, I made the note of some flared trousers invade the pitch.
0: (laughs) Oh my God, yes. I would have been quite young when the flares were sort of fading out, phasing out, but I did, unfortunately, did catch the end of the flares period. I don't think there are too many photographs of me wearing flares at that point, thankfully. Um, so there we go. And so uh, a summary of the match for those who were interested. couple uh, had a long dribble towards a Leicester goal before passing the ball to Lou Macari, who scored with a low shot from just inside the penalty area. Uh, Frank Worthington shot over the bar and Bob Lee had a shot blocked from close range, while Forsyth, not that one, Rich, this was Alex <laughs> Forsyth, the Man United shot uh, just wide at the other end. Uh, Frank Worthington was also clean through, but he shot straight at Alex Stepney. Chris Garland's shot hit the right hand post. It bounced across to Worthington, who tapped it in, but it was disallowed for offside. Uh, Worthington volleyed a shot wide, which got uh, Gerald Sinsat saying, Oh, what a try! Which is just a lovely bit of commentary. um Jerry Daly scored from close range to make it 2-0 to United after some desperate Leicester defending. And in the second half, Bob Lee headed the ball just wide shortly after his previous header was disallowed for being a punch. And he can be seen to utter the word f**k twice in frustration afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Which was um, good of them to show us that. Um, Frank Worthington curled in a free kick, which Bob Lee diverted into the goal. That pulled a goal back for Leicester, but uh, it finished 2-1 end-to-end stuff for the remainder of the game but um, I've got to say Richard about this this is like Gerald that st- said earlier on oh you know classic cup tie one of the best people were saying it's the best one they've ever seen <laughs> when you actually watch the game basically it was like playground football because they were just they were just like charging from one end of the pitch to the other no one seemed to be able to connect a pass to one of their teammates ball control was lousy did you sort of pick up on that? Um
1: no, not really. I mean, it was just... I mean, it's the 70s. All football was rubbish in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. but Controversial see, the thing opinion, is,
0: folks. Well, I just I always wave the flag for 70s football because I always think, well, you know, players have more time on the ball. And, you know, it's not like nowadays where players get closed down within a second and a half of it getting the ball. But it has to be said that when you see a game like that, you think, my God, they just, there was no... Sort of principles. No thought. It was literally twenty-two men running around with a ball on the pitch, and it was it was actually kind of technically quite poor. And it pains me to say it, but that's the truth of the matter. Sorry, Gerald. The the other
1: thing I did notice really is that in both matches, in the last ten minutes, the players looked absolutely knackered. (laughs) Like like the some of the crosses in the last sort of five minutes was just was so weak. And the players just looked exhausted. And I'm thinking, it was only 90 minutes. You know, it was a
0: standard match. It's not like it had gone into like, extra time or something. But the thing is, they were doing more running around because the passing was crap. Like They <laughs> couldn't find one of their own teammates. Couldn't hit a cow's backside with the proverbial stringed instrument. Anyway, after the match, Gerald Sinslet talked about the game, which set a lot of nerves tingling, apparently, before turning to interview the Manchester United goalkeeper, Alex Stepney. Stepney, at this point, 33 years old but looking all of 54 by today's rules, is seen sporting bushy sideburns and a tidy moustache. He confirmed to since that that this had probably been one of the better matches of his career, although frankly it was no 1968 European Cup final. Speaking in his polite South London accent, he indicated his surprise that the referee had ruled an apparently certain goal for Leicester offside before confirming that Bob Lee had indeed done a Maradona by punching in another disallowed goal with his hand. After dismissing United's chances of winning the double in 1976, the camera cuts back to Gerald that who looks for all the world like he's talking to an off-camera brick wall, as for four seconds we hear his voice but can only see the back of his head. Did you see that? I made that note, yeah, because basically at <laughs> end of the interview... And then it suddenly weirdly
1: cuts to like, the lighting's slightly different, and the angle's different, and it's literally just like, he's supposed to be still talking to Alex Stepney, who clearly (laughs) isn't there, and then he sort of turns around and goes, well thank you Alex, and then turns back to the camera, it's like, you're not fooling anyone with that, he obviously wasn't standing there,
0: (laughs) it's just really weird. It was obviously like a technique that they had in those days to sort of try and... Make it look like well, now. It's, the, it's, now the guy's turning around to the audience again. But it's, it's like, like
1: when they do interviews and they do face-to-face interviews, and then after the interview, they film a load of reaction shots, like over the shoulder. Yeah, that's The, right. the presenter nodding and stuff, and it's like, yeah. but it was so incongruous. It was just, <laughs> it stood out a mile. It was obviously wasn't
0: there. You know, <laughs> <Good> grief. <coughs> well, when since that finally turned round to face the camera again, he told us that the second match in the programme would see us paying a visit to Stoke City, who are hosting Sunderland. Kenneth Home is our commentator for this one, and Stoke City are the team in the stripes. Um, so, as is common with these things, Rich, no line-ups on this one, because we go straight into it. We crash straight into the game, no line-ups. Just watch, you fool, watch. Yeah,
1: 20 minutes in as well, we joined the cool. match at nil nil. <laughs> yeah,
0: indeed so. Um, they could have joined it at 90 minutes, to be honest. <laughs> well indeed yes. did you did you see uh, or pick out any of the better known players at all no no Don't there care. were a few <laughs> the first player we see was Peter Shilton who was aged 26 oh sorry here. yes I did actually because <laughs> yeah. I actually wrote Shilton there I think because he only he appeared for like half a second yeah um, wearing a blue shirt with a red number on the back which is about the least visible combination you can have <laughs> if you want shirt numbers um, Jimmy Greenoff who's in the last of his seven seasons at Stoke, brother of Brian, who was playing for Man United in the previous match. Um, Alan Hudson, also for Stoke. He was a classy midfielder, capped twice for England, had two spells at Stoke and Chelsea. During his second spell, he was sold from from Stoke to Arsenal for 200,000 quid to help pay for the repairs needed after a severe storm caused damage to Stoke's Victoria Ground Stadium. Um, and um, on the Sunderland side, I picked out Brian Pop Robson because he played for West Ham a couple of times. He had two spells at West Ham and uh, three spells at Sunderland. Um, he was a bit of a yo-yoer between West Ham and Sunderland back in the day. Um, we know we have no idea who the referee is because we're not told. Probably not important. Uh, the kits for this one, Rich,
1: uh, looking very very old-fashioned. Yeah. Um, Stoke wearing just what like seems to be a knitted shirt. Nice black collar on it, though. That was a nice little yes. touch. Um, mm-hmm. And then Sunderland just appeared to be an all-white. And they, they just look very, very dated, even yes. by the mid-70s standards.
0: Well, yeah. Um, I think Sunderland were wearing uh, the black shorts and red socks from the home kit, but wearing the white waist shirt, which had SAFC sort of stitched on in a kind of monogram style, which was for the thing that they had at the time. And yeah nice nice Stoke kit striped shirt black black winged collar white shorts uh and red and black trim on the side of the shorts as well um, again, the ball was a mitre, but I couldn't see the specific model. You probably don't care anyway, so we'll move on. Um, and the pitch-side advertising boards on this one, Rich, some uh, some familiar names yet again.
1: Lots of familiar names, yeah. So we had Yankee Bar again. We had Anton Berg Mersey, Mersey Pan. That's the one you get off of Craig Charles. Like, Mersey Pan.
0: Mersey Pan.
1: <laughs> it's like brown and colour. Um, yeah, Anton Berg Marzipan again. Pingvin Lacrids again. Our old yes. classic. Uh, Vision hire again, GTX, Wrangler, SO, Duckhams, a uh, whole load of stuff. Britannia, obviously, because it's, you know, Stoke. Um, yeah. Nothing particularly ex- um, exciting other than sort of motorway for tyres, Century or Associated Tire Specialists, and one that I really struggle with to see properly, and it says Bates and Kane, your furnishes. Now, ah, but in right. between the your yes. and the furnishes, there's what appears to be an Access logo. Yes. As in the credit card access.
0: Correct. Yes, your access furnishers, I presume it means. As in, if you've got an access card and you probably haven't because it's 1976, what? you can use it in our store and buy some furnishings, I'm guessing. Yeah. Random. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you've made me feel such a fool because I never made the connection between the fact that Britannia Building Society, of course, Britannia based in Stoke and were sh- Stoke's shirt sponsors for many years. And the I name, of, what the I... <laughs> <laughs> and name of the
1: time. stadium. And the name of the stadium.
0: What a yeah. idiot. What a
1: div. <laughs> what a silly man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> indeed. Uh Yes. Good old pingvid lacrids or indeed penguin uh, licorice as is the English translation as we established before. Um Yes. Firestone Tyres, Century Oils, Happy Go Pontin, Oliver Rick's Garages, which apparently was a local um, company, uh, car mechanics and stuff, I think based in Letchworth. Is that near Stoke? I think it is. Anyway. Probably. I think so. Probably. Um, In terms of things that I spotted during the game, I've got absolutely nothing because we just crashed into the game. (laughs) Nothing much happened, and then it finished. We had about yeah. five minutes of this match, and there was—I had nothing to report. No, yeah. no fans wearing sort of silly costumes or ten-mile-long scarves. No, nothing on that one. So sorry, everyone. But anyway, so basically, yes, it finished nil-nil. Um, Greenoff had a shot that was saved from close range, as was a shot from Dick Malone. Uh, Pop Robson hooked the ball over the bar and uh, apparently Sunderland were absolutely delighted to get a draw at the end of the uh, they they got their nil-nil draw fifth round of the cup and they went on to win the replay 2-1 three days later so well done Sunderland um after the match Gerald since that briefly closes the show by saying that he hopes we've enjoyed this thrill-packed episode of the kickoff match yes Gerald but the Stoke game was rubbish um and he leaves us with Man United's two goals from their win over Leicester, and 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 that's it basically, except the end credits. Did you see the slightly truncated end credits? Yeah, the credits were just almost
1: as tricky <laughs> as the intro. Yeah, but in a yeah. weird way, they kind of almost looked a bit sort of. It was like kind of two tone blue, and then just sort of weird music again. And then the one yeah. thing, the last thing I noticed was Gordon Burns was the producer. Indeed, you know, the Good same spot. Gordon Burns as that was my <laughs> that was my Krypton what? Factor that was the Krypton Factor
0: uh, sounds like Starsky Nuts
1: Do do not remember that was- <laughs> that was not specifically from the Krypton Factor that was the art of noise um, um, version of the Krypton right. Factor theme too is that what but it was the, the kind of like the what would you call it the the interstitial um, yes yes the sting I mean it probably didn't sound like that I guarantee it didn't.
0: I'm going to have to go and check now and see how similar you were with that not brief very, rendition. I
1: think. Yes, I Gordon Burns,
0: because because the Krypton Factor was a Granada program, so he must have been a young Gordon Burns who knew he yeah. was involved with football uh, shows and things. Yes, and that was essentially it. So um, on reflection, then, Rich about the the program, um, we we've dealt with the playground style football that was not exactly flattering for 70s football. Um, we had Gerald that and Kenneth Walston home um commentating um but because this was walston home sort of towards the end of his career on tv really he'd, he'd done his 66 you know world cup with the bbc then he went on to Tyne Tees, i think it was and um what did you make of his commentary on that second game it's a very sort of old fashioned kind of clipped kind of oh marvelous what a lovely pass and all this sort of thing did you, what did you make of his commentary
1: yeah, it does, it does kind of, I suppose, feel like it's getting a bit old, sort of fashioned by this point. And there was yeah. one, there was at one point where he said something that sounded a bit like some, like they think it's all over. And <laughs> yeah. I, it wasn't quite, but it was sounding yeah. very sort of phonetically similar. And I was just half expecting to go, it, it is now,
0: but he didn't. Yeah. Probably, probably haunted by that bit of commentary, I think. Yeah, he's fed up with people asking him to say yeah. those words when they saw him in the is street. Is it all
1: over? Is it all over, is it?
0: Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Ken? Yeah, come on, Cam. Um, <laughs> but what was really odd about this, because obviously, say we, this is the first time we've gone into sort of regional YTV. But as you said earlier on, no studio presentation. It was just all done from the ground, and it was a bit jarring, I thought, because you so you seen Brian Moore or Jimmy Hill or whatever, and everything. They cut back to the studio, and all we had was um, Gerald Sinstat in some drafty corner of Filbert Street, presumably. What did you make of that as a sort of presentation style? I think it's known as on the cheap. Um, <laughs> yes, Gerald's, Gerald's
1: in a boiler room and his cock microphone. Oh <laughs> uh, dear! But it, it kind of it does sort of really sort of show that you don't need a studio, though. It just no. kind of, you know, I mean, the amount they probably spent on that studio, knowing the BBC it was probably about three, three and six or something, you know, <laughs> not very yeah. much. Um, but, yeah, didn't need it, really. I mean, apart from the incredibly jarring bit when he finished interviewing Alex Stepney, it's, it works perfectly well, you know. It's, yeah. But I suppose the thing is you can't really... I don't know. It's just, it was interesting for the time. It was probably very innovative for the time um, mm. and, and probably a bit more... Although you look at coverage now and it's still very studio-based. But, yeah. Well, you do, I mean, that said, a lot of the Euros, um, I think they had the um, the team sort of sitting on a on a dais there's a nice word isn't it Mm. Um, uh, outside in the actual ground so yeah I don't know it's it's different Mm. different
0: but not necessarily bad I would say because I think when they first started doing Match of the Day on BBC in like 64, whenever it was, you would have Kenneth warston home standing on the side of the pitch just before the game started, basically saying, Well, today we're here at, you know, Anfield or wherever, and it's Liverpool v. Blah, 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 and uh, let's go to the commentary. And then, and so he was there, but he wasn't standing in some drafty bit of the stadium. He was actually sort of on the side of the pitch, which is kind of a better way of doing it. But I guess by 1976, you'd have had oiks in the crowd throwing toilet rolls at Gerald's that <laughs> if he was standing on the side of the pitch so you probably couldn't have done it but yeah as you say I suppose it's a cheap way of doing things and uh, yeah interesting but I sort of I do prefer a, a sort of um, a studio set it just feels like ah oh, we're back indoors now <laughs> <laughs> that, no just me okay fine good especially in February it's very cold well, well indeed so yes <laughs> um, that's about it any closing comments Rich on reflection no. Anything uh, you wanted to raise? I'm so-
1: still frightened by the opening titles.
0: <laughs> They're bizarre. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. I was just gonna say about a couple of years after this episode, um Gerald Sinstat sort of basically stuck to commentary and the kickoff match got a new presenter who was do you know who that would have been? Um Hall. <laughs> oh, <Stuart Hull>. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, oh, what am I doing? I'm setting him up for a dodgy channel. <laughs> it was elton wellsby
1: oh elton wellsby
0: good old and elton um, i'm sure we'll be seeing much more from him in future episodes and indeed i'm i've decided because i've found some new con- content on youtube the next episode of this podcast i think will be going to the 90s everyone Oof. we're going to be going to the 90s for some match of the day action yes I'd forgotten. I was, there was me saying before, oh, you know, it's all live football after 1985, but of course, well, yeah. There was a period when that was the case, but uh, you know, whenever what year that was, early 90s Premier League, match of the day got the coverage and we're back to Saturday nights again. So I thought, well, we've got to we've got to go to the 90s, I think. Oh, what 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 part of the 90s are we talking about? Well, it's, it's going to be up to the Patreon followers. They're going to get a choice oh, of two see. years. I don't know which Ooh. two years it's going to be, but they they will vote. And whichever whichever year gets the most votes will, uh, will be the one we pick for next time. So listeners, here's your reminder. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, uh, just $3 a month, you'll get instant access to these podcasts. You won't have to wait two weeks like everybody else before you get to get the free download. And you can vote on which year we focus on in the next podcast. We can't say fairer than that, can you? So if you what want to find was, out.
1: What year was it that Match of the Day lost the? The sort of coverage or, to do the ITV's the Premiership
0: was that about ninety eight or ninety nine? I think i was guessing there. I'm probably well out that. It could have been. It could have been. Hmm. Oh, uh, okay. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm sure there's people listening in now saying it's it's two thousand and one. You fool or whatever. Yeah. You
1: know. No, it was. I'm sure it was earlier than that.
0: It it may well be. Yeah. <laughs> well, but anyway, oh,
1: no. what? Oh, no, no, no. Two thousand and one to two thousand and four. Oh, I, oh, I, <laughs> I got it right. Thought it was the early
0: nineties. I just got it right by randomly choosing a year. That was quite can clever. Edit that so that I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was um, shit anyway. so... Leave that with me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, if you want to get along and uh, find out how you can support us and give us the much needed funds we need to sort of buy better recording equipment and research materials and stuff like that, uh, if you go along to patreon.com <coughs> forward slash football attic and uh, we'd love your support if you, can, um, if you can provide it. Thank you very much. Otherwise, uh, if you want to just drop us a line and give us your thoughts on this episode, you can do that at twitter.com forward slash football attic or facebook.com forward slash football attic. And uh, we'd love to hear from you there uh, if there's any comments you want to make. But until next time, I think that's all we've got time for, Rich. Thank you for your, uh, for your sacrifices that you've made in uh, being with, with being with me on this podcast
1: that's not mainly being terrorized by 1970s soviet
0: propaganda (laughs) thank thank you for giving up some of your sanity to watch that the most disturbing sequences to a football program my god but good to talk to you again and you sir thank you and um listeners thank you for listening we will be joining you again very soon for another episode of the football attic rewind but until then it's goodbye to you all goodbye goodbye <laughs> that was do 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 do